We are here uh, for week three of Don't Open Till Christmas. My name is Ryan. I'm the student pastor. Um, and uh, in this series, um, we have kind of been looking at uh, these prophecies, which are basically predictions um, made by God through man um, about a savior, about the king, about um, someone or a gift that would be given to all of humanity. And, and they were written and they were spoken hundreds, even thousands of years before the very first Christmas. And so each of the weeks during this series, we've kind of looked at um, one of those prophecies or two of those prophecies, and then we've shown how they came to fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. And so this week, we're going to really look at kind of that um, climactic scene of Jesus' actual birth, um, which was described so eloquently by the church lady. And we are going to, uh, to, to kind of get into um, what that has to say to us um, tonight uh, for each of us. And, uh, and we are now seven days till Christmas, right? Seven days till Christmas Eve. So who's excited for Christmas? We excited? We're kind of in like the we're in that final countdown towards Christmas. And how many people know the closer you get to something you're excited about, um, the more uh, excited you get and the harder it is to wait. Whether it's, a, whether it's Christmas or birthday or a party or um, a trip that you're going to go on, vacation, um, no matter what it is, when we get excited about something, you know, when we're a few months away, we're like, eh, you know, you know I'm, I'm kind of excited. I can't wait. Six months, whatever. Four months, three months. But then it gets real as you get closer. And, uh, and some of you, uh, like with, with our trips in the summer, like with Jamaica or Albany, or with Epworth um, in the fall. Uh, some of you guys will like do countdowns and maybe like have one of those apps that has like how many hours until Jamaica. And I've seen some of y'all post like, oh, it's like only 2,000 hours till Jamaica or whatever. And then we get closer and closer. And then like the basic white girls are like, oh my gosh, like four more sleeps till Jamaica. Oh, like it's, it's so amazing. And like, and like people have started measuring things in sleeps. Like it's no longer a day. It's like, ah, two sleeps till Epworth, so excited. And so, um, and we get super excited the closer something gets. And now we're seven days away till Christmas. And we're getting to that climactic conclusion uh, of Jesus being born in Luke 2. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was little, I'd get really excited. I'd start, like, when we got, like, four days out, I'd be like, oh, it's Christmas Eve, 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 Eve. Maybe you've done that before. And I'd start counting down the hours. Like, oh, 96 hours till Christmas, 72 hours till Christmas. Um, and, and I'd be so stinking excited. I remember the night before, most of the time, like, I wouldn't even be able to sleep. I, sometimes I couldn't sleep on the night before Christmas Eve. And then Christmas Eve, or the night before Christmas, I'd be like... Oh, like, I don't know what to do. One night, uh, one, one Christmas, I got, like, this book, like, in, like, I don't know, from, like, my, my parents or something. And it was this, uh, this book about, like, Monday Night Football or something. And, uh, and I was scared to turn on the lights, but I couldn't sleep. So I just got by my nightlight and read the entire book all night. And then until, like, 7 a.m. when I was allowed to, uh, to get up and go out. Because I was so excited. I could not possibly sleep. But, um, but, then, um, but then it still took time to get... To, uh, to Christmas morning, because even once it's Christmas morning, then you got to wait for everybody to wake up, and, and some people are, are like, uh, you know, if you're really excited about Christmas, you're like, 5 a.m., I'm ready to go, I'm ready to open gifts, and everybody else is still asleep, and you got to just sit there for a few hours and wait, um, and, and many of you have heard this, but in my family, it takes even longer to get to the opening of gifts. So I'd like make it all the way through this whole year. I make it through the night and then we get out there. Everybody's awake. We're all sitting around. My parents have their coffee. We can see the gifts. We're like salivating over the gifts. And, uh, and we can see like the big ones and we're like kind of like looking like, oh, that one's for Ashley. Crap, that, you know. Oh, but that one's for me. And like you're kind of like trying to get a count. Like, oh, I see 10 for Ashley. I see uh, 11 for Lindsay. I see like seven for me. I, I don't think, I, I think I'm already getting like the raw end of this. Um, 
But, uh, but then you're, you're kind of sitting there and you're waiting and, and maybe in your family you go straight to the gifts. But in my family, we read the Christmas story because my dad is a pastor and he's not just a pastor now. He was a pastor when I was a little boy. He's been a pastor since before I was born. And so in our house, we read the Christmas story, but we don't just read Luke 2. Luke 2. We also read the Magi coming. We also read um, the angel visiting Joseph and the angel visiting Mary. We even have read the genealogy, which if you don't know what the genealogy is, it's a list of Jesus' family tree. And it's like, um, you know, David was the father of Solomon, Solomon was, and it just like has all these names, really long names. It takes forever to read. And it's like, it feels like forever. It's really like 15 minutes that we would read it. And, um, and every year I'd be like, when I was like 12, 13 years old, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like when I was like 25 years old, oh my gosh, like, do we really have to do this mom and dad? And, um, and finally we'd, we, we'd, we'd start reading and, um, and we, and you know, for a few years it was okay. You know, me and Ashley were, 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 were going strong and we, we knew our stuff and we'd, we kind of memorized it. So we just kind of read through it really quickly. Uh, but then I remember one year Lindsay entered the rotation um, and, and my parents deemed her worthy of being in the reading rotation because she was six years old and she had started to learn how to read. So she'd get up there and she's like, um, uh, in those days, she's like sounding everything out, every syllable by syllable. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm trying to open presents, Lindsay. Like, could you learn how to read? And she's like, I'm six. And then, um, and she's like, in those days, Caesar, Lindsay, Caesar, Caesar, August, August, I know that word, August, August, Augustus, Augustus, it is a decree that a in census, Lindsay, it's census. Give me the Bible and let me read the rest of it. So I'd like knock her out of the way. She's like, I love Christmas. I was and and I'd like rip it out of her hands and I'd just start like speed reading through the whole thing. But then we got to the gifts. And uh, how many of you, there, there's two kinds of families, really. There's really only two kinds of families. There's the kind of family that, uh, that sees gifts like a... Um, like a episode of National Geographic, like the circle of life. It's like, it's like lion cubs attacking a dead zebra. Like everybody just rips apart everything. It's like, I don't care if it's, I don't care if this gets for me or not. How many of you are in a family where it's just a free for all? So how many of you are from that kind of family? The family that it's like a free for all and Christmas is over in like two and a half minutes. Anybody? We got like four of you. How many of you uh, are in the other kind of family? This is the family that each takes their turn one by one. You have to go and pick it out and you have to like, and so like uh, we would go and there'd be like a gift hander outer. And so um, like Lindsay's going and getting a gift for mom and dad and Ryan and Ashley and myself. And we all sit down. And then it's like, okay. And this sounds so like perfect and holy. Like, oh, you have a perfect family. This is just how my parents do it. And so um, it'd be like, okay, we'll start with the youngest. Lindsay, open your gift. And she starts opening it. And if you like open gifts like with your grandma, anybody have the grandma that tries to save the wrapping paper? It's like, it's like $2 for a 100-yard roll. Like, what are you doing? She's like, I can't mess up the creases. And she, her hand's kind of shaking. And she's pulling the, pulling the tape off and trying to fold it. And I said, I might use this next year. It's like, grandma, come on. I'm trying to open gifts, but uh, we don't have, we don't, we don't have a, a slow opener in our family, but still, we'd go one at a time all the way around, and, and at the time, it was brutal. Now, um, 
uh, now I love it because I have seen the other side of things. Now that I'm adult, I've seen uh, uh, families that it's like Christmas is over in three minutes. And it's like, we waited a year for that. Like it's, it's just over. And, and the good thing for our family is, and I love it. I'm going to do it with my kids is that we go just a little bit at a time. It takes like two hours. It's great because we get to enjoy the, the gift opening experience. But the closer we get to it, the harder it is to wait, the more excruciating it is. And, and after waiting a year, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't possibly wait another minute. And these prophecies that were, that were given um, by God to the people of Israel um, were given hundreds of years before. Even at the beginning of time, there were prophecies about one who would come who would change everything. And so these people of Israel were like waiting and waiting and waiting for hundreds of years. And they're, you can imagine their life. They, they get taken over by the Romans and they're just hoping one day, one day we're going to have someone come and save us. One day we're finally going to get what we want. One day our life will be different and a generation would live and a generation would die. And their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids just continuing would not see this thing. But finally, finally. Finally, God's gift occurs. God's gift is officially given at the first Christmas. We're going to start uh, uh, with one of two prophecies in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 11 through 14. And God is talking to King David. This is important. King David's important. He's talking to King David, and he's, he's telling him something uh, about Jesus. He says, when your days are over, in other words, when you die, and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So David hears this. David hears this, this, this prophecy, this prediction from God. And he knows that one of his ancestors is going to be this king forever. This, this, uh, this prophecy was written down 450 years before the birth of Jesus. And now we're going to flip over to Micah. Micah, it's a very small book in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5. And so while that other uh, prophecy in First Chronicles spoke about that the Son of God would come from the line of David, this one says something maybe even more specific. It says this in Micah 5, starting in verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time, listen to this, when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And the first line of verse five says this, and he will be our now, there's a few things in this, but the very specific thing is that this king, this, uh, this savior, is going to be born in a very specific place. He's going to be born in a small town called Bethlehem. Now, this, this prophecy was written 750 years before Jesus was born. And, and you might hear that, you're like, 450, 750, what's the big deal? Listen to this. America has existed as a nation for 251 years. That's it. 
Our entire nation, which we feel like has lasted forever, has been around for 251 years. That first prophecy was twice as long as our existence before Jesus. That second prophecy was three times as long as the existence of our nation before Jesus. And so both of these things are written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And then we get finally to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible. And this is kind of the famous scripture. Uh, This is the only account where it actually describes the birth of Jesus. Some of the other accounts are beforehand, and some of the other accounts are afterwards, like when the Magi come and visit. But this is the actual birth of Jesus. So we're just going to go through it, and we're just going to see what God has for us in it tonight. And we're also going to look at at where those um, prophecies are fulfilled. So we'll start in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Caesar Augustus was like the first um, like dictator emperor of Rome. And he was uh, very powerful. Nobody questioned him. And he ran Rome like perfectly. Like Rome was like in its heyday under him. And so they had this thing called Pax Romana. And it was like there was peace within his kingdom under the emperor, Caesar Augustus, and, and decided, he decided that he needed to know who was in his nation. The reason why he wanted to know that was so that he could get money. So if you don't know that someone exists, you can't tax them very well. And so he said, I need everyone in my nation, not just people in Rome, not just people in Italy, everyone within the borders of the Roman Empire to register and let me know who they are so I can tax them, so I can make money off of them. And so everybody had to go to their hometown. So this doesn't mean, like, if you were born in Jacksonville, uh, let's imagine this today. If you were born in Jacksonville, this does not mean, oh, I just got to go over to, like, Beaches Baptist and register there. This means that you had to go and register where your family was from. So, like, my... um, my grandfather on my mom's side is from North Carolina. And remember, this is a time before uh, like, a, like an online application or, or driving or flying. I would have to, if our government announced this right now, I would have to get with our family and we would have to walk or like ride like horses or donkeys or whatever all the way to North Carolina to register. As you can imagine, this was kind of a, uh, kind of a uh, unfortunate event for most people because they had to take time off of work spend money they didn't have to go to a distant land and register for this Roman Empire, which the Jewish people hated the Roman Empire. They hated that they were under control of the Romans. And so like, this was like, like the worst thing. And like, it took, it actually took like years for them to actually um, make everybody go to their hometown because there were so many people in the kingdom and it took so long to organize and everything. But Joseph, because he has to, decides to go with the woman who he's going to be married to. And so we continue. In verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. You want to circle something or underline it? That is the answer to 1 Chronicles 7, 17, 11 through 14. It says that this, this son, this, this king, this savior will be part of the line of David. He will be an ancestor of David. And so Joseph was just a normal guy. He wasn't a ruler. He wasn't rich. He was just a, a basic guy. But he had this famous ancestor. A long, long time before he was born, one of his ancient ancestors was King David. And this is a huge deal because King David was like the first legit king of 
Israel. Now he was really the second king, but like he was the first king that like God like hand selected and was like, I want this guy. The other time, like Israel was like, we want a king, we want a king. He's finally like, okay, you can take Saul. But this time he wanted David. And it said that David was a king and a man after God's own heart. David was not perfect, but David governed under the leadership of God. And so he was like the greatest king in their history. They, they established this amazing kingdom. They had all this money. Nobody controlled the Israelites. And everybody was waiting for the day when they would have the next King David, when they would have the next guy that was like King David. So it was a huge deal that he had to be from the line of David. And as the scripture says, Jesus was from the line of David. <clears throat> Continuing in verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, while they were there, they're in Bethlehem. Now, listen, they don't live in Bethlehem. They don't live in Bethlehem, but they had, uh, God had kind of made this, engineered this situation that even though they didn't live in Bethlehem, they would be in Bethlehem on the night that Mary was to have the baby. Because as they go, to Bethlehem to register for Caesar Augustus, this thing that happened thousands of miles away that Caesar Augustus forced them to do. As they go to Bethlehem, she starts realizing, I'm gonna have the baby. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, in Bethlehem. As the prophecy said, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a feeding trough. It also might mean that it was an animal stall. Because there was no guest room available for them. Maybe you've seen the movies. Maybe you just saw Church Lady and it's like this description of like, oh, it was a barn and all these animals and everything. Most of that we just kind of assume. Well, all that we really know is there was no inn for them to stay in. And so they placed him in cloths in a manger. And that's where he is. But there's something else going on a few miles away. It says they were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, at one point, shepherds had been a big deal. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And the people of Israel had these massive flocks. But then they went and they were prisoners in, uh, in Egypt. And Egypt had all these crops, and they didn't really think well of, of, of shepherds. They kind of looked at shepherds as unnecessary. And, and so they didn't like shepherds very much. And then... Um, uh, they were there for 400 years, so that's kind of what got into their mentality. And then Egypt or, or Israel ends up in their nation, and they plant crops, and they, they, they establish their borders. And so they don't need shepherds the way they used to. And so shepherds were kind of a, a, an old thing, like an old technology, and, um, and, and they really just weren't looked very highly upon. They were poor. They were like migrant workers. Um, they were just, uh, they, they, they were basically homeless because they lived out under the stars. They lived with animals. They were dirty. There, there's some evidence um, in ancient documents that they were even looked down upon, that they were looked at as like criminals and that they were looked at as second-class citizens. Whatever the case, we know they were not the rulers. They were not the rich and famous. They were not the people that you would think God would go to. And so we continue in verse 9. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, not the priests, not the rulers, not the kings, not Caesar Augustus, not King Herod. He appeared to shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Imagine this. Imagine a small town that almost no one lives in, like uh, Waldo, Florida, on the way to Gainesville, Waldo, Florida. And imagine you're not even in Waldo. You're in a field outside of Waldo. 
And you're sitting there, and you're just laying in a tent in the middle of a field. And no one's around. You're there with a few of your friends, and you're just hanging out. It's pitch black. There's no sound. And all of a sudden, the sky just explodes with brighter light than you've ever seen, brighter than the sun. This loud uh, noise comes in your ears, and you see this, this, this object, this thing coming down out of the sky, this massive warrior angel. That is terrifying. And, and so, so these men are no doubt about to run away. They're scared for their lives. And the angel says, no, 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 no. Look, guys, 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 guys. I know I look scary. I know I look scary. But listen, listen, listen. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. You can circle good and great. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And then circle this word for all, 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 circle all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. See, Jesus is for all people. As this angel comes down and he wants to share that this birth is happening, he makes a very clear statement. Jesus is for all people, not just for Israel, not just for Romans, not just for uh, Gentiles, not just for white people or black people or, or Spanish people or Asian people, not just for people in the first century, not just for people in the 21st century, for all people. Jesus is for all people. This past week, I was uh, um, with some of our volunteers and, and, uh, and staff members over at Fletcher High School, and we did three days of Challenge Day, and, and many of you have been a part of a Challenge Day in the past. And, and one of the big things about Challenge Day is that um, we, get this, we get this picture of how much we like to separate ourselves in the world. Or how much the world separates us. We're separated because of the color of our skin. We're separated because of where we're from. We're separated because um, of how much money we have or don't have. We're separated because of what we look like, how we dress, uh, who we love, who we like, what family we come from, where we work. We're separated for every reason that you can think of. And, and we begin to see through, a, through something like Challenge Day, they're like, why do we do this? Because it's not just like the world separates us. We do it to ourselves. We do it to each other. We look at people and we say, well, they're different than me. And even if we don't know it, and you may say, oh, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist, I'm not ageist, whatever. But we do this all the time. We look at people and we say, eh, they're not really my people. We all have my people, right? You have my group, my friends. Oh, that's my people. Those are my people. Them, eh, not really. And a lot of times we give them, whoever them is, different names. And you've all heard the names that we use for, for other groups of people that are different than us. And it's us and them. Us versus them. And Jesus came into a world that was very similar to that, even more segregated. And this angel, as this baby boy is being born a couple miles away, says this, he is for all people. So a question you might ask yourself tonight, especially if you're a Jesus follower, is this, who are the people around me or who are the people around you that you are excluding? And maybe it's not because you're mean or you're trying to, but we all do it. I do it. We all have people that are just kind of on the outside of our lives that we look at and just like, oh, it's just some person, just some guy in my class, just some person walking by me, just some person at the gym. But we forget like they lived this whole life. They were created by God. They've had failures. They've had successes. They had a family. They had um, friends. They've had good things happen to them. They've had bad things happen to them. They have this entire life. They matter. They have a soul. They have emotions. They have a personality. And we look at them sometimes. We're just like, oh, that's just some person. Who are the people around you that you are excluding? 
Because this angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all, all, all. Everybody say all. All All the people. Continuing in 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, now now what this means is like we go from one angel to like millions of angels. The entire sky is lit up. If they weren't terrified before, now they are absolutely just terrified and like scared for their lives. It's even louder and brighter than it was before. And they all start singing out glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, peace to those on whom his favor rest. These angels came and they say to these shepherds, peace only comes through Jesus. Peace only comes through Jesus. There's a lot of ways that we try to find peace, isn't there? Whether you're a Christian or not, there's a lot of ways we try to find peace. We try to find peace in a high. We try to find peace in a drink. We try to find peace in achievements at school or on an athletic field or in music. We try to find peace on the internet. We try to find peace in social media and likes and followers. We try to find peace in friendships. We try to find peace in boyfriends and girlfriends. We try to find peace in sex. We try to find peace in popularity. We try to find peace in our job or in our money or in our car or in the way that we look and the way that we, we see ourselves and the, what we see in the mirror. We try to find peace in a lot of ways. And they never really measure up. Never really measure up. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples. He's about to go to the cross, and he he gives them this message. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. What he's saying is my peace is different than the world's peace. We'll get back to that. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Here's another question for you tonight. How have you been looking for peace recently? Not in your whole life. You may say, I'm a Christian. I find my peace in God. How have you been looking for peace in the last month, in the last week? Have you been looking for peace in your, in your schedule? Have you been looking for peace in, uh, <clears throat> in your friends? Have you been looking for peace in, in your test scores? Have you been looking for peace in your Christmas list? Have you been looking for peace at the gym? Have you been looking for peace at a party? Where, where have you been looking for peace? Because anything that is not God, anything that is not Jesus, will ultimately fall short. We'll continue. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Uh, I guess we should go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had, been, they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Maybe you're seeing a trend. God gives a prophecy, and it happens as he says it is. He tells Mary and Joseph something about the baby, and it happens just as he said it would. He tells these, these shepherds about this baby that's a few miles away, and they go, and it's exactly as they thought. He tells these magi, essentially, to, to, he leads them to Bethlehem, and they come and they see the baby exactly as they thought they would. He always comes through on his word. In closing in verse 21, it says, And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I, I, I want to 
I want to kind of close by looking at the difference between these two kings. Because, see, we have this one king named Caesar Augustus. And we begin this chapter with him going to all the people in his kingdom. Essentially going to his people. He said, okay, all my people, all the people in my kingdom, I want to count you up. And why did he want to do that? He wanted to do that to get something from them. To get something from them. So he counts all his people so he can get something from them. And then we, we kind of compare that to this other king, Jesus. And Jesus comes for all people. Caesar Augustus went for his people. Jesus comes for all people. And while Caesar Augustus said, I want something from you, Jesus says, I want to give something to you. He came and he brought peace. And he brought love. And he brought forgiveness. He brought acceptance. He showed what a true king really was. A king that would come for all people, whose kingdom would last forever, who would come for the people and not to get something from the people. And I, wanna, uh, I really want to close with this, this one line in Micah 5.5, 5, which was one of the prophecies we looked at. In Micah 5.5 5, it says, And he shall be their peace. It was talking about Jesus. And it was saying that Jesus would be the peace of the world. And this, this, this word that many of you have heard before that is used in this situation is the, the word shalom. Shalom. And again, when we hear peace, we think like no war, or maybe I'm not worried. And it's a very worldly kind of peace. Remember what Jesus said in John 14. He says, I'm not going to give you a worldly peace. I'm going to give you a peace that's different. A peace that is not of the world. See, the shalom that Jesus came to bring. Yes, it means peace. But here's what else it means. It means completeness. Imagine that, feeling complete. Nothing makes us feel complete. Some of you have tried the things of the world, and you know it doesn't make you feel complete. All it makes you feel is empty after you're done with it. And you have to go on to the next thing, the next person, the next drug, the next party, the next achievement, because nothing really gives you completeness. See, in Micah 5.5, God says that this king will bring shalom, peace, completeness. It also means safety, safety, feeling safe and secure. It also means that it'll bring quiet. How many of you are like, quiet? Like, uh, what, what, what does that matter? Quiet in our thoughts. Quiet in our busyness of our life. Quiet in our schedule. Quiet in our, our hopes and dreams. Yeah, we'll still have them, but all of a sudden we have this, this just silence that only comes from God. Because in him we are complete and we need nothing else. Shalom means contentment. You know, when you eat a great meal and you feel completely content, like you don't want anything else, you don't want another drink, but you're not full. You're not, you're not like, oh my gosh, I'm sick, but you also don't want anything else. You're just content. That's what shalom is. That's what Jesus came to bring is contentment. And he came to bring these things, not just in ourselves, but in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And so I don't know where Luke 2 hits you, where these two prophecies hit you tonight. But there's a few ways that perhaps you should respond or perhaps you should move from this place. Here's the first thing. Maybe you need to examine how you look at others. Maybe you need to examine what you think when you look at other people, how you treat other people, the people that just walk by you and you're just like, oh, that's just some guy. I don't really know them. Those aren't my people. And consider that God came for all people. 
Maybe you need to examine your heart and you need to figure out where you're trying to get peace. Are you trying to get peace from your own way? Are you trying to get peace from someone else? Are you trying to get peace from what you do? Are you getting peace from God? Where are you trying to get peace? And maybe the, maybe the third group of you is that you need to make it about Jesus this Christmas. You need to make it about Jesus this Christmas. You've been all about the gifts. You've been all about um, the stuff. You've been all about the, the lights and the, and the decorations and the ugly Christmas sweaters and all that. But maybe you've never actually been about Jesus. Maybe you've never actually, maybe yeah, you've heard about them. You've seen the stickers. Jesus is the reason for the season. But you've never made a decision for yourself. And if that's you in this room, we want to give you the opportunity to accept that gift. How ridiculous would it be if you just went out on a, on a Christmas morning and you were like, you had this huge gift in front of you. You were like, eh, I'm not going to open it. Looks pretty big. looks pretty good. Eh, I'll pass. How ridiculous would that be? So we want to give you the opportunity. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give you the opportunity to get this peace that comes only from Jesus, to get this gift that comes only from Jesus. Maybe tonight's the first time you've heard that he came for all people. He came for you. He came for you right now, 2017 at Christmas. And on the count of three, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. No one's looking. Here's why I want you to raise your hand. I want you to remember when you put your hand up. I talk to people sometimes like, ah, I don't really know if I became a Christian or when I became a Christian. I want you to remember December 17th, 2017, when you put your hand up and said yes to Jesus. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you pray it, you confess it with your mouth, then you will be saved. So if that's you on the count of three, I want to lead you in a prayer that only you can make for yourself to accept this gift of Jesus. I'm going to count to three. One, God loves you. Two, accept this gift tonight. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Keep it high. Keep it high. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I accept the gift of your love. I believe you're the son of God, just as Luke says I believe you love me that you died for me and that you rose again to conquer my sins I turn my life over to you I surrender to you and I want to follow you in your holy name I pray Amen.